Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. The difference between happiness and joy, and, you know, it's all on the definition. I have to separate it out since I have chronic pain um, with all the rods and metal and stuff like that. Um, most of the time, I don't have circumstances that make me very happy because it's not happy to be in pain. It's not happy to be in physical pain. It's not happy to be in emotional pain. That's not happy. But you can still choose joy. And then there's people who have circumstantially everything happy, and they're not joyful because joy is such a choice. And it is something that you literally have to train yourself in. And just as the word trains us and changes us, most of us that have tried to train and change ourselves have become frustrated enough to where we've finally gone, oh, I guess I could do it God's way. I didn't even think about that. But that's usually where I have to get to that point. And so I don't know if it's God's sense of humor or some kind of terrible, dark spirit that's come in or something, but my computer just... And so my message is in my heart, but I haven't had that much time to prepare for it. And I'm not saying excuses for myself because I know that God always shows up and it's not about me anyway. But um, I want us to pray because I really want to, first of all, give you all exactly the message that he wants each of us to hear. And it's just amazing that God can think of each of us individually and that he can give a message through someone. And not only do we all hear something different, but the Holy Spirit's saying something different to each of us. And that I'll be open to just being um, lucid enough for him to do that. I've had a month of a sinus infection, so of course it's taken me a month to go to the doctor. I feel like I'm falling apart. If, if you all really want to know, I really feel like I'm falling apart. But I know I'm not. Um, I know that... God always comes through, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and that at that end of just a really dark road, there is just beauty, and I guess I know that from years of walking with God and realizing it's not all about the moment that you're in, and am I happy, and do I have everything I want, because once you have everything you want, you still, that doesn't bring joy or happiness. It's about really realizing that God loves you just the way you are just with all of your flaws with all of the hidden ones and all of the ones that stick way out and he is not waiting for you to change in order to love you he's not waiting for you to become someone different in order to love you he loves you and he sends someone that's so flawed and so imperfect and um, so willing to expose my faults and the strange things that happened in my family (laughs) to the point where my husband says, I just really, I don't know if I want to hear about our relationship on radio. And I'm like, I can't help it. It just kind of comes out. Well, this class is called Permanent Change. And it's, I say permanent because it's one thing to change, and it's another thing to change and to stay changed. And yet the only way that 
I've ever had that happen and happen in a good way where I didn't replace a habit with another habit or an addiction with another addiction. And, you know, don't freak out when I say that because, I mean, chewing gum can be an addiction. I've been on every drug known to man, and including oxycodone and morphine, so don't think I don't know what that's about either. You know, we can trade addictions, we can trade habits, and we can trade things that we think we're just, um, oh, well, I've changed. Well, unless we replaced it with something that's of God, then if your joy level isn't going up, if you aren't realizing that I'm a new and different creature, I'm really changing then you're missing out on most of Christianity, by the way, because we're supposed to change from glory to glory. And I can't imagine sitting in a church and hearing sermons and thinking, I'm just supposed to hear this. And I don't know about y'all when I was little, I used to count hats to stay awake. Um, now people don't wear hats, but I used to count hats because enough people still wore hats. So I'd be like, okay, seven hats. And then I'd see if there are any more hats. But that's so wrong. We need to be excited about God's word and know that it's meant for us. And I think part of the reason I was counting hats is because everyone sounded so proper and so uh, self-assured and so kind of go with the flow and the tradition of things. And I am not faulting any church, any denomination, nothing. I'm just saying that that's not what it's about. It's a building where we're supposed to come in and learn the word and have it change us from the inside out. Have it change and metamorphosize our life completely and totally. And do that which is impossible for humans to do. I love it that the word says that all things are possible for God. And we forget that. We forget that and when we go on and we try and we try and we try instead of saying, this is impossible for me, but it's not impossible for God. All things are possible for God. And all things are possible for him who believes. Um, I started this series on personal permanent change, and we started doing sort of an acronym where a word goes down. I think that's what we used to call it in English, where a word will spell a word. And so the word action, um, we talked yesterday about the first way to even start to change is to admit, and that takes humility. I mean, you have to admit, and when um, I gave the example of Lacey and I, my husband and I took our two kids to the rodeo, and we had to have tickets that said admit one, or we couldn't enter, and so they saw all this fun and all this freedom and all this everything going on, you know how the carnival is and everything that looks exciting for kids, but they realized, I've got to have this ticket and hand it in to get in. And I want us to just visualize that. I'm, I'm a really simple person. So if you give me something to visualize, I do a lot better. I want you to just admit, like realize that your ticket to freedom is just humbling yourself before God and just admitting to him, okay, I admit, something's wrong with me. Maybe you don't even know what's wrong, you know. Maybe you know there's too many things. Maybe I admit there's so much wrong with me, I'm overwhelmed. Maybe I admit that... I'm depressed. Maybe I admit whatever it is, but see, God is the only one that can fix it because he's the one that made you and he's the one that knows you. And as Christians, sometimes I feel like it's almost like we all get together and try to pretend like everything's okay. Every once in a while, I love to just, especially at parties or social gatherings, you know, when I know someone's really not listening to me, I have been known to 
start saying really crazy things like, you know, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, good. Really? And they're looking over your head and I said, yeah, we just got back from Mars and the whole family enjoyed it. It was kind of hot, but really? Oh, that's so wonderful. Now, did you all go together? Yeah, we did. There were little green aliens that sort of bothered us, but I mean, I will wait how long in the conversation before that person, because see, when we ask someone, hey, how are you? Are we really expecting them to go, will you come sit down over here and pray with me? I mean, we would just be shocked, and yet I can't even tell you how many times I get stopped in the grocery store and someone will say, please come and pray with me. Prayer is the greatest honor. I don't think that we need to walk around going, I'm fine, I'm holy. I'm here. I'm all put together. I think sometimes we should go to church in our pajamas. I really do. I really think it would be better. I think we should go in our pajamas. Go ahead and brush your teeth, but just come in your pajamas because I think that would be, and it'd be so much more like when we were kids when you could meet each other and be best friends in about two minutes if you weighed almost the same and you can get on the seesaw or if you like to swing real high and somebody else does too or if you like the same color I mean and the reason I'm spending so much time on this is because I think as Christians and as people we spend so much time trying to look put together and trying to be together and trying to not let anyone know that we really do need prayer or that we really do need God. And that's our ticket to freedom is admitting, humbling ourselves, especially before our Heavenly Father, who we can trust with everything and saying, look, admit one, let me into freedom. You're the one that holds the power to change, to really permanently change, not to trade a habit for a habit, not to trade one bad thing for another, but to really change. And I want to just humble myself before you right now. And I will never forget this one day, just going on a walk with God and something that that I like to do a lot. Matter of fact, I had a Siberian Husky. Um, We still have, we have one, but... um, the second one that we had. I walked the dog for 17 years, and the vet said that they thought that that's why he lived to be so old is because he went on a walk every day. But I would go and walk the dog and talk to God, and half the time I spent my time just agreeing with God about things that he would show me about me that I didn't know what to do about him. Some of the things I recognized in myself and some of the things I wouldn't have ever thought of, you know, because we we don't like to look at ourselves under a microscope very often. That's for other people, you know. We like to look at other people under a microscope, but we don't like to get up under there ourselves. And I remember just saying, I just agree with you, God. So sometimes admitting tonight can be just saying, I just agree with you, God. I, you know, whatever you show me, I just agree with you. I'm just going to agree with you. Then... That is going to be my ticket for your helping me because God says that he sets himself against the proud, but he helps and aids and gives grace and power and all that we will need to the humble, those who are ready to admit and to really get down on their knees and say, it's not all about me. I need my creator. I need God. So my... Next word was commit, and I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not trying to rhyme, and it's interesting that God's going to have it in tonight on commit, but 
all of this spells out the word action because if we're going to change, we need to take action. You know, you can talk until the cows come home and leave and come back home and leave and come back home. I mean, that's one thing. I don't like to talk and talk and talk and talk about something. I like to just do it. If you need prayer, I'd rather talk to you a little tiny bit and then let's just pray. Then talk about what you need prayer about or talk about how we should help this country. And my husband's finally figured that out and he's really careful what he talks about. Last time he talked about wanting to help children in a foreign country, we adopted one, you know? He's like, okay, let me just talk about dinner and talk about things like that. I, I don't like to get in committees. I don't like to talk. I like to be there and, and really get into helping people and making a difference because yeah, this isn't a dress rehearsal. This really is your life. I mean, I know that sounds strange, but I think a lot of people live this life like, oh, I was practicing, <laughs> or I was sleeping, or I was just seeing what was on television until I got to the next life. And this is your life. And then eternity is the place where there is no pain and no sorrow. Commit. And I want to say this along with what I just said, sorrow. Commitment is word that seemed to go somewhere else, in our generation especially. Because do you know really if you commit to something, it's going to involve some kind of sorrow at some point? Really, no matter what it is. I mean, whether you've committed to eat a certain way or you've committed to exercise or you've committed to a marriage or you've committed to be the parent of a child. If you really commit to something, you're actually joining with that thing. And that that word literally means to join. That's why when you hear the word committee, that's to join together a bunch of people and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And Sorry, y'all are seeing my biases of what I don't like to do. Commit is so important because most people that try to live the Christian life and they have Jesus as their Savior, but they haven't committed their life to him. In other words, he's their Savior, not their Lord. He's their life insurance in case anything happens, like in case, you know, this plane crashes and I know I'm fine, but I really can control my own life. Thank you very much. Those people really are unstable and deeply not as joyful, I will say, maybe I'm even under-exaggerating, as the people that I know that I've met on the oncology floor when I had leukemia and was given a few weeks to live. And it was like, I know where I'm going. I know where I've been. I know who I am. I know who I'm not. <laughs> you know, some people, you just want to say, not only do you need God, you aren't God. Did you know that? I'm about to read a joke off of my phone since my computer blew up. This uh, couple was going out of town, and they um, were going to go on a trip. A taxi was going to pick them up, and they had a parakeet, and they had a cat, and the cat let, would try to eat the parakeet, especially if they weren't around. So they made sure that the cat was put outside right before the taxi came and right when the taxi came and they opened the front door to go out, the cat ran back inside. So the husband was like, just take care of it. Just go and told his wife, just go get in the taxi and wait for us. We'll, you know, I'll take care of the cat. And so she started talking to the taxi driver and she didn't want 
the taxi driver to know that I guess the house was going to be unoccupied for several weeks. And so she said, oh, my husband just went to say goodbye to his mother. And the taxi driver said, okay, that's fine. And so, I mean, five minutes passes by and 10 minutes and finally like 12 minutes. And the husband comes back and he's all just rattled. And he was like, ah, oh, so sorry. He slams the door and gets in the taxi and he goes, Oh, first she was under the bed, and I was pulling her out from under the bed, and I couldn't get her to declaw from the carpet. Then I finally got her big old, she's just, man, she's gained some weight. I'm carrying her down the stairs. He said, don't worry, I finally just threw her out the back door. The taxi driver bumps into the car in front of him, you know, ramps in. But I'm thinking, you know, that that is such our life, where I hear one thing, and my husband hears something else, and my child hears something else. And if you don't have a sense of humor, by the way, commitment is hard. I mean, anybody, anyone that's in this room that has had a friend longer than a year, (laughs) I'm not even kidding, or a relationship, there is a commitment to a relationship, and a commitment with the Lord isn't like, you know, if you give me sunshine and butterflies and and hummingbirds and, and I can hear the angels, then I'll serve you. Well, that's not what it's all about. God is good, and he's good and gives us good things. But we live in a world that is a fallen world. And we live in a world that's imperfect. And we are going to hurt down here. And he wants to be our great physician. He wants to be our Jehovah Rapha. He wants to be our provider. He wants to be our Jehovah Jireh. But so often we have to ask. You know? And it's amazing to me how much I will try to do to please God or to change or to be better and how frustrated I have to get and that he allows me to get so that I'll finally cry out to him. I don't know if you're this way by nature, but I'm one of those people that if I could just go my life with just me and like a box of Band-Aids, then I'd probably really enjoy that. Not that I'm a loner. I'm not a loner. I just want to put my own Band-Aid on, thank you, and I'm fine. I'll help you with yours, but please, leave me alone, you know? And then I've had all of these things in my life where God has shown me, you need people. Not only do you need to admit to me and commit to me, but once you've committed to me, there's this whole set of people that comes along with it. All of a sudden, we're in a family. And one of the best examples I can ever think of is, up to date, I've had 38 blood transfusions. And each one of those represents about eight, well, about six to eight different people. So um, do you know how many nationalities that is, by the way? I had to fill out one of those things the other day, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I look at that and I think, first of all, I've never given blood because you have to be a certain weight to give blood. And number two, I will never be able to give blood because I've had chemotherapy and you're not supposed to give blood if you've had chemotherapy. So I've received this huge gift of life, 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 life from people where I can't ever give it back, you know? And why didn't God make it so that he would just heal me and I wouldn't need all that blood from all those other people. And I asked him, and I mean, I got an answer. I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was like, because I'm teaching you, you need people. 
See, I don't think I even like the word need. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I scare people. I don't need a bodyguard. I don't need anybody to walk down the street with me at 2 in the morning downtown. I'm fine, really. I mean, it may seem funny to you, but like that word need, I don't want to need a shoulder rub even. And humility needs. Humility goes, number one, I need God. Number two, I admit to him that there are things about me that I've tried to change for 40 years and I'm not changing. And I want to change. And number three, God, I need to know you're real. I need to know that you're really, really moving in my life. That I'm breathing in your air day in and day out. And that that there is a future and a hope for me. I need to know that. And maybe that's where you are tonight. Maybe you've walked with God for a long time. But I'm telling you, there is no Christian walk or run. Some people like to say run the race. And that's what keeps coming to my heart right now. There is no Christian running the race without commitment. And the Christian race that we run, which is our life on this earth, which does go fast. Like you get to that age where you're like, oh my gosh, it's going so fast. And then I just remember being that age where I thought, if we do not get past social studies and get to lunch, I am going to jump out the window. Don't you remember that in like third grade where you're like, Please, please, someone tell the teacher not to talk like this. I'm in third grade, but you don't have to talk that way. I mean, it's just, ah! And I would think, I'm never even going to make it to Christmas! And now I'm like, did we have Christmas? Seriously, I, I, I'm not sure if I had the last ten Christmases. Because I look at our... Well, I was going to say albums, but that would be a big fat lie. I look at that pile of pictures that are supposed to go in the albums, and it's like, was I there? I mean, what was I doing, you know? And, yeah, I have some excuses that you don't have. Maybe you don't have them, but, I mean, I was on heavy, heavy narcotics because of back surgeries and had to be. And But that's not it. That's not what it was. It's because it does. It goes so fast. So why spend this time on this earth living a life of regrets when I can be getting to know God who I'm going to know in all eternity and I can be more and more like him and less and less like me because the world doesn't need another me and the world frankly doesn't need another you. The world needs another selfless person which none of us are by nature. Otherwise babies wouldn't cry. But I mean think about it. You, you have a baby. They're innocent. They haven't done anything it's not but they come in this world and they're they cry because they're hungry and they cry because they're wet and they cry because they're crying and then they cry because they're cold and they cry because they're hot and then they because they need they need and we come into this world and we need and we need each other and then we realize gosh you know a lot of that is my own selfish needs but what part of that is my god need and what part of me or what parts of me can I not change at all without him and without help? And I discovered, at least for me personally, and this may not be you, you may be holy and sanctified and ratified, and, 
there's nothing that I can change permanently for the better that I can do apart from God. And yet with God, I can do things that are humanly impossible. Really. Speaking of all the drugs that I was on, I was on more drugs than my Air Force. He was the head of the Air Force. Um, they called him the Surgeon General of Orthopedics for the Air Force. He's their number one guy, and he just just retired. But he was flying back and, and forth from Iraq and back and, and all of the different things going on around the world. And he said, I have never seen anyone on as many drugs as you're on, but I had had so much spinal and nerve damage, compression, pain. It was so beyond what anyone could tolerate until we did that 13-hour reconstructive surgery. And But I was still on all of these massive amounts of narcotics from botched surgeries for eight years. And then I wanted to get off of them, all of them. And it's not possible after eight years of being on oxycodone and oxycotton and morphine and opium and fentanyl patches and Dilaudid and I mean I could go on and on and on um, naming all these drugs. It's not possible to just say, oh well I'm not addicted, you know. But I didn't want to go to a center and leave my kids again, you know. And so I don't know why God does what God does. It's like he's, he's God. And so he makes those decisions. But he took away all mental addiction from those drugs. And I got off of them at home. But I still had to go through all the physical withdrawal. Now, if I got a choice, I would just say, God, you know, take away everything. Let me float through life. Let, let celery taste like ice cream. You know, don't make me go through anything. But I went through all of that horrible withdrawal physically, but passed all those drugs by myself, in my house, by myself, no nurse, no person helping me, and left them in my cabinets going, don't want you, don't like you, glad to be rid of you. When I knew that if I just took one pill, that 105 fever would go down. If I just took one pill, I would be not sick all day. You know, And we're talking about this took two and a half years. That is a miracle, folks. You don't go and, and, and just go, oh, I think I'm going to get off morphine and I'm not addicted anymore. You, you don't. I mean, that's one of the, the most addictive drugs there is. We need to know, though, but with God, all things are possible. But we don't get to call the shots. We get to commit to him and know that he knows the best thing. And now, I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's a pretty cool thing to be able to tell kids, yeah, you know what? You don't think I've been through withdrawal? I've been, I've, listen, I know what it's like. I know what it's like, what kicking the habit means, because it means you can't quit kicking. That's what it means, by the way. You have no control over your body. You're convulsing, and it's not fun, and it's not pretty. But you know what? There's nothing to be ashamed of that. I mean, and then God can do bigger and more than you ever thought. He can get you to a place where you don't ever even want that stuff again. He can get you to a place where you're helping other people. And that's really why we're on this earth. We are on this earth and we are programmed as God's people to need him and need people. And yet we have a society today where it's like what's promoted a lot of the times is need, 
no one don't need God and don't need people. And then we wonder, why are we so alone? Well, we've lost all sense of commitment. And that's way different than attempt. You don't attempt a marriage. You, you commit to one another. And yes, things happen. And, and I am not standing up here saying somebody should not have gotten divorced. That didn't have anything to do with anything. What I'm saying is that there's a lot of times that we attempt a friendship. But if it gets tough or there's any suffering involved, we just kind of walk away, you know. Or we attempt a relationship instead of really committing because so many of us are attempting Christianity. Seriously. Well, I'm just going to attempt it and see if it works out in my life. And if it does, it does. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to go and buy a crystal and attempt that and see if that works. And if that doesn't work, then it's just all sort of an experience. Well, no, you've got to commit That's what Jesus did for us. He committed himself completely, gave himself for us. And committing is making him Lord and not just Savior. And Lord means he's Lord of my walk, my Christian life on this earth, or my run. And I'm going to just read some scriptures in Hebrews 12 because and in the Amplified Bible, because I was reading them earlier on my computer before it blew up, and it was really significant to me. It really, really spoke volumes to me because the word, I, I really even shouldn't call the word an it. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ, the Logos word of God. And I just want to read some of these scriptures about running your race. And just for you to keep in mind, it's a commitment and it's a marathon and there's no end you know, I mean, you see people on television and they're, well, some of you may run marathons. Julie runs marathons. I don't run marathons, but I have seen marathons. And people are just, I mean, they are dehydrated. They are exhausted. They have blisters on top of blisters or, you know, and then I'm thinking, well, I could do more like a sprint, you know. Well, I want you to think of the word commitment as a non-ending marathon, which is what we have on this earth while we are walking this walk, while we are running this run, and a sprint being more like an attempt. Or sometimes we like to think of it as just handing the baton off to someone else, you know? Like, I'm going to work really, 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 really hard, and then I'm going to make everybody else under me suffer, you know? And then they're going to work really, 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 really hard, and that's what life is until you get to the top and you stop suffering. Only then you're suffering for something else. I mean, it's like, what? What? None of that makes sense. So when we follow Jesus, it is a race, but it can be won with great victory, even though there's not a finish line until the end of the end of the end. But God wants us to be committed to it. I want to I read his word because his word makes so much more sense than I do, especially tonight. Therefore, then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance unnecessary weight and the sin which so readily deftly and cleverly clings to and entangles us and let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us 
I love the vision of us running a race. I also know that when you're running a race, if you're committed to that race, you don't stop because your stomach cramps. You don't stop because you're thirsty. And you don't stop because you feel tired. And you, you just keep going. And so I, it's like I want to go to every Christian and say, you don't stop because it feels like God stopped blessing you. You don't stop because you feel like heaven is not listening. You don't stop because tomorrow is the day. I mean, God tells us that sometimes there is an appointed time and an appointed season of things. And there's times where I know in my own personal life I have suffered greatly, but I have held on to his words, such as eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of a man that things that God has prepared for those who love him. I remember when Lacey went to Armenia to get Storm as a baby and had to come back after two weeks to tell me, I, I don't have the baby with me, and long story, and I had to go, though, 45 minutes later and talk in front of a church, and that was the scripture that God gave me. I just said, I just want you all, all as witnesses, to see that I has not seen nor his ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of a man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And I love God, and we are going to see the fruition of this dream that he's put inside us. I don't know how. I don't know what he's going to do exactly. And then here we are with this nine-year-old named Storm. And I'm thinking, why, 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 why did we name him Storm? I mean, he is a storm, and it is a family name. The one thing I want to say that is so important is that when you feel like you can't do anything else, which is usually the place we need to get to before we'll even open the Bible, open the Bible and read what it says. Read what it says about your life. Tonight or tomorrow, read Hebrews 12. I'm going to just read a few more scriptures because I know that this is something that God has just really highlighted in my heart to share with you all and really to encourage myself as well. We're going on in this race, and in verse 2 in Hebrews 12, 2, in the Amplified Bible, it says, And looking away from all that would distract to Jesus. Isn't that good? I mean, we've got so much distracting us. And looking away from it all just to look straight in his face. And I can make it through the day like that. When I start looking at statistics for the kind of leukemia I had or start looking at my child's report card or start looking at a bill or start looking at, you know, how long I've been hurting. Okay, I'm 43. I've been hurting for 30 years. That would make it 33. I mean, when I start doing that or I start looking at how impossible a situation is, I get my eyes off of Jesus, get my eyes off of him, and I start tripping up. And this is saying here, if you want to not trip up basically while you're running the race and you want to have that strength and not grow faint, keep your eyes on him. And you'll just see that end awesome prize and all of his promises that he has in between. And then it's amazing how many times I forget I'm even running. Whereas if I don't get my eyes on the word and his wonderful words that he tells us that are so true and powerful and that change our lives when we believe them, then I start tripping. I start falling. Hebrews 12, 2. 
from all that would distract, get our eyes onto Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief, and it's also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I like that, because God says that I can actually despise some things I'm going through. Do you know that you can have joy and still despise some things you're going through? So you don't have to be one of those people who is just completely not a realist. How are you doing? I'm fine. Everything's great. You know, I need to be that way because I need to have the joy of the Lord. I was telling someone the other day, he was saying, we were told in our church to be thankful for all things and how important that is. And I said, no, that's... That's a really different preposition because the Bible says to be thankful in all situations. In, not for. See, even Christ despised the cross. Do we ever look at that and go, did we realize that? He, he scorned its shame. He didn't even, I mean, he didn't enjoy any of that. And yet, as Christians, we need to realize, you know, there's some things in this life that are hard, that I don't like going through, that are difficult. But I, I want it to, I want to change it, if possible, and not let it change me. And if I can't change it, I'm still not going to let it change me. And if it's going to change me, it's going to change me for the better. And if it's going to affect my life, then I want God to use all that dross, and that's a really nice word for fertilizer, by the way. And I want him to use that to make the most beautiful garden and to help other people. See, what would I have to say to a group of teens or to a group coming off the gangs or whatever? Y'all wouldn't believe the people I talk to. And they are awesome kids. I don't just speak to youth, but what would I have to say if I couldn't say, yeah, I've been through that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah? Oxycontin's tough to kick. It is. I mean, what would I have to say to someone who was just told that they had a few weeks to live? See, none of us would have anything without all of our dross. And that's what God wants us to do is commit to him and let him take these broken shards of glass of our lives and make it into a beautiful mosaic that can bring beauty to the lives of other people. He can take all those little horrible broken pieces and make something beautiful. Whereas I, all I know is when I try to pick up glass, I get it all in my fingers. I can't even clean it up. And our dust buster has not charged in years. It's gone the way of the computer. And so I'm still trying to clean it up, you know. But God can take all of that big mess, and I'm talking like the big mess of your relationships, the big mess of nobody can clean this up, big mess like what's the point of even going to a counselor? Number one, they're so expensive. Number two, they're all crazy too. And number three, no one's going to understand the situation anyway. Then only God. And I'm just here to tell you only God. I'm not supposed to even be here statistically speaking I mean and really you're here for a reason I'm here for a reason and it's not just so that we can fulfill our own happiness because we never will it's because there's a joy deeper than any river and taller than any mountain and 
It's the one who created the mountains and created the rivers and created the seas. And he loves you. And he wants us to commit to him so that he can make something beautiful of our lives and even make something beautiful of our, of our messes. And he's good at it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that change is not only possible, it's completely and utterly probable with you. As a matter of fact, we don't even have to work at work at work at changing or even journal about what we need to change about or any of that as much as we just need to get in your word and see our reflection in the light of you, God, in the light of your love in the light of your patience, in the light of your grace and mercy towards us, in the light of your great understanding. And then we see our poor reflection in that light. God, help us to just truly slow down right now to admit to you that, no, there are things in our lives that really aren't right, that hurt, that maybe there's something we're going through that we despise, and we need you. Lord Jesus, I know from some of those things you will completely deliver. From others of those things you will help us get through. And from still others of those things, you will do something beyond what our human imaginations can even come up with. Because you tell us that you will do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever hope or ask or think. But we have to ask. We have to want, and we have to give you us so you'll have something to work with. So we give you us tonight in our messes. And I just pray, especially right now, over any situation that anyone within hearing range of this message is finding themselves in, and it just looks impossible. And God, I ask that you bring light where there is darkness. That you take all those broken pieces and know maybe that relationship can never be the way it was before. Maybe it can only be better. God, I thank you again that you're the only one that can take plan Z when we should have chosen plan A or B or C, but we went the way of Z or X or Y or W. And you can make it better than plan A when we give it back to you. We just humble ourselves before you and we ask for your gracious Holy Spirit, not just to teach us, but to change us. And not just to change us, but to help us to help others. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed Kathleen's message. To order a copy of this and other messages, please call us in San Antonio, Texas at 210-822-5500 or toll free outside the San Antonio area, 877-397-7773. That's 1-877-397-7773. Visit our website, KathleenWitten.org, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-W-H-I-T-T-E-N.org. Thank you.